You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. Good morning. I hope you guys were able to find a parking spot okay. Um, sorry about that. Uh, we, we did not mean to plan a track meet in the middle of our service. Um, so I had a little bit of trouble, but I, I hope it was better for you guys. So Super Bowl Sunday, are we excited? Yeah. I, commercials? I'll yell out if you're excited about the football primarily. All right, yell out if you're excited about the commercials primarily. How about food? People. That was a little lower than food. What's wrong with you? It really has become a, a holiday for us, hasn't it? It's I've, I, I'm not a big NFL guy. I like football, but uh, I've, just, I've been looking forward to it all week. It's the whole experience. It's, it's all the things I listed. That's the right answer. That's the political answer. If you want to please everybody, it's, it's the whole experience. All right, my name is Casey. I'm one of the pastors here in Illini Life. Um, and this morning, we're going to continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount called Your Guide to Exile. Last semester, we spent quite a bit of time in this series, and we had a part of the series called Killers, which, in which we talked about the things that could kill or hurt our development as followers of Christ. And this series that Brooke kicked off last week, we're calling Fillers, things that we can do or ways that we can be that can empower the work of God in our lives. And Brooke started us off in chapter, Matthew chapter 6, the first few verses, talking about giving to the poor and having the proper motivations for the good deeds we do. And I'm actually going to continue that theme a lot today about the, our motivations for good deeds. But I'm going to focus primarily on prayer. And then I'm going to talk a lot about the Lord's Prayer this morning. So here's what I'm going to do is we're going to um, read through the passage right now. And then our, we'll work our way through the passage um, after that. So if you guys have your Bibles or your phones with the apps, feel free to um, go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. We're going to read through verse 15, but I'll have the, the passage up here in front of me as well, or behind me. Not in, Well, I have it in front of me, but it'll be behind me too. Verse 5, um, Matthew 6, 5, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they, um, they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I'm pretty excited to talk about prayer this morning because I've felt God in the last year or two challenging me to grow in my prayer life, both in my devotion, my personal devotions, but also as a leader here in Illini Life. You may have seen some posts from me on the city or on Facebook about 
prayer times I'm wanting to have with you guys. Um, and as I've thought about how can I create space for prayer in my personal life, um, I thought, well, I walk my dog Sherlock two, two times a day. And so those are times that I could redeem that time and spend it with the Lord in prayer. He's cute, isn't he? So sometimes those, those times can be distracting, actually, because when we see other dogs, Sherlock goes nuts. And we haven't figured out how to correct him of that yet. But that cuteness can also give me a heart of gratitude and help in thankfulness and help me in my prayer time. But um, instead of just letting my mind wander, I try to try to use that time to just talk with God and spend spend that time with him. So I'm excited to talk about prayer. And my hope this morning is that um, that God does a work in our lives in regards to our relationship with prayer. Uh, my hope is that he inspires us to be a prayerful church. I would love for us to be really passionate and faithful in prayer, expecting God to do big things. Because I firmly believe that if we pray a lot and we expect by faith for God to act in response to that, he will. Wouldn't it be awesome if Illini Life was primarily characterized as a, a prayerful church? I think that would be great because everything else we hope to be as a church, I think, would flow from that. Because I think God would um, respond to that in a powerful way. All right, having said all that, let's, let's go ahead and work our way through that passage I read. And hopefully um, what Jesus tells us about prayer will sink, sink into our, our hearts and shape us um, this morning and in the weeks to come. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. It says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by other people. I Truly I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When I read this verse, I, I think about Brooke's uh, message last week about... Um, the proper motivation for doing our good deeds. Um, it's not good for us to do things for the approval of other people. Um, our motivation should actually be internal. She talked about our outward actions matching our inward life, and that's what integrity is. And that should, our inward um, devotion and love for God and desire to obey Him should be our motivation. Let's actually go back to Matthew 6 1, the first verse in this chapter. And take a look at what Jesus has to say about this. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So people's approval shouldn't be our primary motivation. Our motivation and our good deeds should be our love for God, our desire that, to please Him. And this is a theme in our series that we're doing, I think, is this, our motivation being to pursue God, to, to please him, to love him. And that's really my main idea this morning. All right, let's go back to the passage, um, verses 5 and 6. Je now, Jesus is saying that our, our primary motivation shouldn't be the approval of others when we pray. Um, and when I think of the line of life, I don't think of this as probably being a, a primary temptation for us to pray in public so we get the approval of others. Um, Jesus was a Jew, and he lived in a Jewish culture, and um, um, they're a group of people who prided themselves on their, their um, ethnic descent from Abraham and following the law. And so things like pr um, praying in public would have given them approval from others, would have enhanced their prestige in their social circles. 
And while praying in public for most, maybe some of us, but most of us probably isn't a huge temptation, I do think the approval of other people can be um, a motivator for us in a lot that we do. We live in a secular culture, so religious acts might not be the, the, the thing that tempts us to get people's approval. But it might be things like um, acting in certain ways to have certain friends or to get people to hang out with us, looking smart, looking attractive or competent. These things might be temptations for us in our culture. I know for me, a a temptation can be, I want people to see me as a, a good, competent leader. I want people to see me as smart and wise and competent. I want to be a, the kind of person people want to follow. And so if I feel like judged or criticized or people don't see me in that way, it can really mess with me. And I can struggle to have peace before the Lord in, in that struggle. And so when I'm, struggling, when I'm lacking that peace, that's a good indicator for me. That my, um, that my eyes are on other people and not on Christ. And so I ask God, help me to, to, um, to get my approval from you and have my eyes set on you and, and not other people. So you might be wondering, what does this have to do with prayer, what, you're ta- what he's talking about? I think this passage today is about our, our relationship and our connection with God our Father. Pursuing him, seeking his affirmation, Aligning our heart and actions um, with his heart is, that, is, is the point of the passage. And I think it's the meaning and purpose of prayer. Prayer is about connecting with our Heavenly Father, the King, and being transformed by him. And I think that this theme continues in the next couple of verses, verses 7 and 8, where Jesus says, And when you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans, for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what, what you need before you ask Him. Again here, Jesus is challenging us to think about why we do what we do. Prayer is about connecting with the Father, not about um, repetitive ritual. So when Jesus is talking about this, he's, um, um, you might be wondering, what does He mean by um, these pagans, these babbling pagans? What He's doing is He's referring to the religions around Him. For the Jews, for, the long time, for a long time, been, they were confronted by the worship of Baal, who um, the people who lived in the Holy Land before the Jews got there worshipped. There's references to this throughout the Old Testament. If you look in 1 Kings, Elijah um, dealt with the, the worshipers of Baal, the prophets of the worshipers of Baal a lot. And so this, this might have been on their minds. Also, the Jews at this point, they're in the middle of the Roman culture. In Roman culture... Um, at this point in history, was a mix of both Greek and Roman cultures, Greco-Roman. And so they might have had in mind the many gods that the Romans worshipped. And the kinds of prayers that people would pray to these gods were ritualistic and repetitive. And Jesus is cautioning us against um, these kinds of prayers because the purpose of prayer is to connect with God. And if we've accepted Christ, if we're followers of Jesus then God, the King, and the Creator, he, he wants to know us, and He wants to be known by us. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that amazing? And that's why we pray, to connect with God, to know Him, and to be known by Him. And th- that theme is in the Lord's Prayer, which is what we're about to get into here in a minute. But before I go into the passages on the Lord's Prayer, I wanted to talk about, about it a little bit. I grew up in the church, and I grew up in some non-traditional 
um, churches. And so the Lord's Prayer really wasn't a part of my spiritual life, my church life growing up. I really didn't even memorize it until five years ago. Um, but once I did memorize it, I spent a couple years praying the Lord's Prayer, and uh, I just found it to be really theologically rich, and I think God used it in my life. Um, because um, Jesus loves us, and he wanted to give us tools for connecting with the Father. But that's not the only thing that the Lord's Prayer does. It's, how, it, it's not just about us connecting with God. It's not just about our relationship with, with God. It tells us about who God is and what he cares about. And if, we, and if we pray faithfully, if we pray a well-balanced prayer like the Lord's Prayer, then, um, then our hearts start to align with God. And so the Lord's Prayer is actually about us knowing how to follow God. Jesus is taking complex theological ideas. He's distilling it into a prayer that we can memorize and we can pray back to God, and we can connect with God, and then it can also help us to know, like, to care about what God cares about and how to follow him. Another thing that the Lord's Prayer does is it helps us to know how to have a balanced prayer life. Sometimes we can get stuck in ruts, I know I can, where maybe I get stuck on just praying about my personal needs, or even just praying other people's prayer requests at the expense of praying about my own own personal needs. I don't, um, some of us work out, some of us don't. I'm sure you guys have known guys in, um, in your lifetime. I for sure have. Guys, when they work out, they like to have big biceps and nice pecs, don't they? Yeah. Um, but I've noticed that some guys, in their quest for big biceps and nice pecs and nice abs, they just work out their upper body, and they neglect their lower body. And so you have guys walking around that are real buff and ripped in the upper body, but they got these little chicken legs, and it looks hilarious when they're wearing shorts. So it's good to have, like, a balanced workout, right? And it's good to have a balanced prayer life as well. Good connection, huh? All right, let's go ahead and dig into the, the actual passage about the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, 9, Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're going to stop there. Our Father in heaven. The word that Jesus uses for Father here is Abba. And in his culture, Abba was a word that children used um, in reference to their fathers. And what it, what it um, imp- implied or reflected was warmth, familiarity, intimacy, and respect. I've heard some people translate it as daddy before, which is okay, but I actually think father is, is a really good reflection of that balance between intimacy and warmth and familiarity with respect. So when Jesus says, Abba, Father, um, we, we, when we read this, we know that Jesus is addressing a father he knows well. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus goes off and prays. He spends a lot of time with God. He's part of the Trinity. But it's not just that. Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, he's giving us a model for prayer. So he's not just referring to God that way himself. He's telling us to approach God in this way, with this comfort and familiarity. Now, I want you guys to to stop and think about what are some relationships you have in your life where um, you feel just the most comfort with that person, Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's a significant other. Maybe it's a, a really good friend. I know for me, I've had friendships like that in the past where maybe we talk about everyday things. Maybe we talk about deep things. 
Um, but there's so much comfort that maybe we don't even feel the need to talk. We just enjoy being in one another's presence, and there's a comfort there. And for me, um, um, even though I've had friends like that in the past, the person in my life right now that's like that is, um, is my wife, Brooke. I love being around her. I love this picture. This picture um, is me trying to not seek your approval right now. I'm trying to have good motivations for, for what I'm doing this morning. Um, I don't love this picture, actually. But I do love Brooke, and I love spending time with her. I love um, eating meals with her, watching TV and movies, going on road trips. Sometimes we talk about day-to-day things. Sometimes we have deep conversations. But um, I just love doing the things I love to do in life with Brooke. And what if our relationship with God was like that? What if we were just really in touch with God's nearness? God is omnipresent. He is near us. But sometimes I think we, we sense God's nearness more than others. But what if we were really in touch with that? We, we felt close to God. We knew he was near us. And there was a comfort there. We, we were in touch with the, the idea that God is our loving Father. He loves us. He wants to know us and be known by us. Wouldn't that be great? I think that's actually what God wants for us in our relationships with him. He wants that closeness, that familiarity, that nearness, that intimacy. And I think that's something that we, we should strive for, and I want us to strive for in our relationships with God. So Jesus says, our Father in heaven, and then he says, hallowed be your name. And hallowed means holy and revered. And so there's a tension here we see in this first sentence of the Lord's Prayer of warmth and familiarity of a, um, of a God who loves us, who we can approach with confidence, that we can know, but also who should be um, respected and revered and even feared. And so there's a tension in how we understand God and how we relate to God. And it's okay. It's a, um, there's a lot of tensions in the Christian life where we hold on to one thing without letting go of the other. And I think this is one of those. And I think Jesus is demonstrating that, that, it's, that tension is okay. With, in the first sentence of the Lord's Prayer, we have both things in that sentence. So God is our loving Father who wants to know us and wants to be known by us. But he's also the King and the Creator who's holy and who's to be revered. And it's a good tension for us to live in in our relationship with him. All right, let's keep going. Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As I mentioned before, um, prayer is about connecting with God and knowing him. But it's not just about our individualistic relationship with God. God is calling us into something greater than us. And specifically, he's calling us into his mission. And God's mission is this. He created the world and it was good. He loved his creation and especially people. But sin alienated people and creation from God. And so his mission is to reconcile people and his creation back to him. That's what he loves. And the beautiful thing is God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And he could, just, he could just make it happen. But he doesn't do that. He calls us into his mission. Imperfect, sinful beings who he wants to make new. He wants us to take part in that, that mission to make things new. And he wants us to love his mission. He wants our, to transform our hearts so that we love the things that he loves as well. There's a beauty there. And so if people ask, why, 
why doesn't he just make things right? Why doesn't he just do it? I think there's some mystery and beauty there um, that I think is just is great. God wants to be reconciled to individual people and people groups in his whole creation. And he wants us to be part of that. And I know a lot of you, you, can, you already care about God's mission. You know people in your classes, co-workers, family members who don't know Christ, and you want them to know him. And so you build relationships with them. You have spiritual conversations. You share the gospel. You invite them to church. I know that um, Adriana Goat and Ben Cheddar, they go to the Dominican Republic with Go Ministries during the summer, and they serve communities there. They love and serve communities there. Amanda Razo is going to lead a group of iLifers to inner city Memphis over spring break. Jonathan and Wayne are going to lead another a local spring break project here in town to, to serve the homeless in our community by, by coming alongside CU at home. This is God's mission, and he loves it. And he loves it when his people love his mission and take part in it. And that's our calling. If we are Christians, we're called to love God's mission and to be part of it. All right, let's go ahead. Let's move on to verse 11. Give us today our daily bread. Because God is our good father, he also wants to meet our needs, both physical and spiritual. And Jesus talks more about this in Luke chapter 11. There's there's another passage where Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. And after he gives us the Lord's Prayer, he talks a little bit more about what God does with prayer. Um, And we're going to look at Luke 11, verses 9 through 13, if you're following along in your Bibles. So I say to you, ask and will be given to you, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg? It's an interesting example, an egg. Kind of cracks me up. We'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, um, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? His point here is that um, God is our good and perfect Father, and he wants to give us good things. And so it's good for us to bring our needs to God. Because um, if, if our desires and our needs are good for us, in line, for his, his will, in line with his will for us, then he wants to give to us generously. I have an example of that that just happened yesterday that I was super encouraged by. Brooke and I, um, this season when we realized that Illini basketball was giving out season tickets for um, cheap, um, we, it was affordable where they you're guaranteed – um, they're not giving them out. You have to stuff to pay, but it's affordable. You have to you you're you're guaranteed a seat at every game, but the the seat itself isn't guaranteed. You get moved around based off the um, the availability of the seats. And so Brooke hasn't been able to go to every home game. So every now and then I get to offer a ticket to to someone. And Friday night I texted Alan, "Hey, do you want to go to the game with me?" And he texted back. Oh, I'd love to go to the game. That'd be great. Actually, do you know that the, the Cubs World Series trophy is going to be there? So I'd love to be there for that ceremony. And I'm like, great, I didn't know that. Um, and so Alan was going to go with me. And then next morning, I got back from my workout, worked out the whole body, upper and lower body. Um, uh, and I had a text from Alan. And he said, actually, have you offered the ticket to Russ? 
Um, and I, I said, yeah, actually, I gave Russ my last available ticket. He went with me. And Alan's... Um, and Alan said, well, I was, I was getting ready for my day today, and I felt led by God to offer the ticket to Russ. And I didn't really know what was going on. I said, you know, I think it's fine if you just go. But, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I had a sense that God might be up to something, and I didn't want to discourage Alan from following, obeying God. So I said, why don't, you, um, why don't you call Russ and talk with him, and you guys let me know what you guys decide. What I didn't understand is um, I didn't put two and two together. Is Russ is as big of a or as big of a Cubs fan as Alan, maybe bigger, and um, Russ would be super excited to be there for the the World Series trophy. So Alan calls Russ, and we didn't know this, but come to find out, Russ had prayed to God, God, if you're willing, if I can have a way to go to the game tomorrow, because I'm really excited about the World Series trophy. Isn't that awesome? So, so Russ prayed this, and then Alan felt led by God to give Russ his ticket and, and offered him his ticket. And I think, that, like, I think Russ asked God for this thing he wanted, and God, because he's a generous father, said yes. And not only did he give, I think it's really beautiful, not only did he give Russ this ticket, he used Alan, he, he, he prompted Alan to offer Russ the ticket Alan calls Russ and gives, so Alan, by offering Russ the ticket, he's honoring God, he's loving Russ, God's build, building Alan and Russ's relationship, and he's giving generously to Russ. And I thought it was just a really beautiful thing that God did. Um, and I think it's a great example, too, because I could have given you an example of someone, um, like, asking, Russ could have asked, God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, or an opportunity, opening doors to serve the poor. And I, I'm teasing Russ a little bit, but actually I think, I think it's really cool that Russ just asked God for something he wanted, and God said, I love you, and, it, and I want to give this to you. Because um, God wants to give generously to us the things that we need, but also, like a good father, he wants to give us generously the things that we want sometimes as well. And so I thought that was a really beautiful thing that God did. Um, with Russ and Allen yesterday. Okay, 612. Um, and, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So if we're followers of Christ, then um, we are sinners who owe a great debt to God because he, um, we've been forgiven much. And uh, um, God making us new people in him and through Christ is a lifelong process. And so struggling with sin and temptation is something that we're going to battle for the rest of our lives. Um, and so it's, it's good for us when we sin to be aware of temptation and sin in our lives and when we sin to confess our sins to God. Confession to God and also to other people is a spiritual discipline similar to prayer that um, helps us to connect with God and to grow in Christ. Um, but also Jesus said um, in the prayer, um, forgive us our sins and help, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought here. Forgive us our debts as, as we have also forgiven our debtors. We're called also to forgive those who have hurt us. And I'm, I'm going to come back to this because there's more verses on this later on in the passage. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus in his wisdom knew that we're in the middle of a, a spiritual battlefield. 
And I think for us, we can get distracted by the spiritual realities around us, by the worries of every day, classes, homework, work, friendships, spouses, children, um, entertainment. These things can distract us from the spiritual realities we're in the midst of. Temptation um, is all around us, and it's good for us to be um, sensitive to us. Sometimes it's outside of us. Maybe um, we're tempted to struggle sexually online or to lust after someone we see. Or maybe someone provokes us to anger and we sin in our anger. But even in those examples, sin is um, prevalent within us. It's um, Temptation is with us, and sin is always... Um, a can be a trap for us. It can be tempting to judge or criticize others, for instance, to idolize wealth or the affirmation of others, to place our trust in people, comfort or security, just things other than God. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 encourages us to be, be wary of sin, to be aware of it and to be alert. In 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, Peter says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion for looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the devil is looking for Christians to devour? And not just, he's looking for people to devour. Good and evil are potent forces in the world around us. And we're wise if we, if we realize this. Jesus was personally aware of this. When he went and fasted before his ministry in the, in the desert for 40 days, he was personally tempted by Satan. And then throughout his ministry, he was confronted by evil, people um, possessed by demons that he exercised the demons from, um, people with diseases, people oppressed um, by other people, people in poverty. Jesus saw these things as evil. And he, he was in the middle of a spiritual battle. Even as crucifixion, the spiritual warfare is potent and, um, and really strong. And I think we're wise if we pray to God for um, this, the discernment to understand between good and evil. We're wise if we understand the dangers of sin in our lives and in the world around us. As I grow older, I do, I grow more sensitive to the difference between, sin, between good and evil. I see sin, the ravages of sin in churches and the lives of other pastors. I see it in my family. I see it in the lives of people in our church, even in relationships among mature Christians. I've seen it destroy families and marriages. And I'm regularly disturbed by and concerned by the evil in my own heart. I struggle with temptation on a weekly and often daily basis. And so I ask God for the strength to resist temptation in my own life. And, and, for, and I ask for God to have victory over sin in my life. Because I know I need his power for that to happen. And I need to depend on him. And then when I give in to the temptation, I'm, I, I try to confess to God and to confess to others who I'm close with that sin. And then I work hard to embrace God's grace. Grace, his unconditional love and forgiveness he offers me for the sin of my life. Which brings me to the last two um, verses I want to cover this morning. Verses 14 and 15 say, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This could be a confusing passage, couldn't it? Because forgiveness isn't earned. Um, it's, it's something that, it's a gift we're given from, by God through Christ, through faith in Christ. But true saving faith is transformative. If we have our faith in Christ, then the Holy Spirit is renewing our hearts and making us new men and women and enabling us to, to be people and do things we wouldn't be able to do without him. And one of the things that marks us as Christians is our ability to forgive others, even people who have hurt us. We, are, um, we should be a forgiving people. Have you ever heard of the saying, hurt people, hurt people, that cliche? Um, cliches can be kind of annoying. I find this one to be an actual, actually kind of a wise one. Um, I see the truth of that in my experience with people and in ministry. I have a new saying for you guys. Forgiven people, forgive people. And because I'm proud of it, let's go ahead and hashtag it and go ahead and tweet in Facebook. I've never had anything go viral before. So I think today's my day. You guys can help me out with that. Um, talk about the wrong motivation for doing things. Um, so what Jesus is saying is the, the ability to forgive people marks us as Christians. And there's a high and strong calling for us as Christians to forgive other people. Now, I realize that sometimes in life we are hurt in profound ways by people. And when I think about it, situations like abuse can come to mind where um, simplistic statements like forgive and forgive not only aren't helpful, they can actually be harmful and hurtful. And so I realize that there are situations where forgiveness is complicated. And so I just want to acknowledge that. That, that being said, in most other situations, I think we are called to forgive people. And if we can't just forgive and forbear, especially with people who are in our lives and in our church, I think we should go to those people and work at reconciliation. I think we need to be determined to forgive people and whatever that means. I think this is a strong calling for us as Christians. And that's why we see the strong, the strong language in Scripture. And if we struggle to forgive people, then I think we ask God for help with that. We come to God with that. And I think, I think Jesus emphasizes this in this passage after the prayer because the Christian faith, it's a profound thing. It's a transformative thing. It changes our very nature. And I think that's what Jesus is calling us to is a, a deep, transformative faith. He's, reject, he's calling us to reject a super, superficial faith that looks to the approval of others in motivating us to do good things. And instead, us, instead, he's calling us to pursue God, to know God's heart and to know God himself and to be transformed by God, to grow, to learn, to um, love the things that God cares for. And if we do that, then we'll, we'll honor our Father in heaven. And last week when, Je when not Jesus, Brooke, when she... Uh, um, I love Brooke, but not that much, not quite that much. She, she brought us back to the previous chapter, chapter 5. And then um, if you guys remember, the Sermon on the Mount isn't just a collection of random teachings. It's a teaching on, from Jesus where one point builds on another. And in um, Matthew five thirteen to 16, Jesus calls us to be salt and light in the world, um, to be on a, sit, a city on a hill, um, to be a lamp with a light, that shines for all to see. We are called to be a people of God whose goodness 
that God, um, whose, whose goodness points to the goodness of God. And as a result, people um, turn to God and give him glory. That's what we're called to be. And we can only do that if we pursue God and seek to know him and allow him to make us thoroughly good people. And that's, that's a part of what prayer does. Prayer is about connecting with our heavenly father, the king, and being transformed by him. And by praying and spending time with God and getting to know him, we begin to love what he loves. And that's how we become the kind of people he wants us to become. And that's how we have the kind of impact in the world that God wants us to have. I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer. And then we're going to go into a time of communion.